Everyone has something to share, and either wisdom, story, or logic. And it's clearly amazing to hear all the different missing links discovered by people unique to their own journeys, and then how they have come to discover them. Together, we can help to build a bigger picture for a better future, for a brighter tomorrow. Let's stand united. Let's remove the veils, and let's create a new world together. Are you that missing link? Join Jesse Hale on the Missing Link Talk Show as he helps to unveil the mystery through the unique wisdom and store of others. Three, two, one. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome everybody here back to The Missing Link. Today we're excited and honored to have back for a second time someone who's a writer and a researcher. Um, he was also part of an independent group of analytical psychology um, he was part of uh, uh, the inner workings or knowing of the NWO and the Illuminati. He's written a whole bunch of books to share his findings, and he's here to share his story with us again here back on The Missing Link. Welcome to The Missing Link, Khalil Lion Zagami. How are you doing today, brother? Great. Thank you for having me on. Where are you based exactly? I'm in Alberta, Canada. Okay, so in a different time zone. Here is the early hours of the morning. <laughs> yeah, you're 9 a.m., I'm 10 a.m., so I'm just above Montana. We're just um, to the west of the Rocky Mountains, so um, pretty close time zone, but, you know, uh, uh, just, just a little higher up and a little colder. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But it's so, good to be, to be in, the, in the cold weather in the summer. I find it uh, a bit too hot here uh, in the summer. I might, I might have to visit you in the summer. It's, you, can come, you can come visit anytime, brother. Thank you very much, Jesse. Thank you for having me on. And uh, today, of course, uh, is the second time I'm on uh, your show. So I'm glad that we can uh, uh, dwell further in all my work uh, and analyze further also my latest books. Awesome. So why don't you start off with telling us about yourself and about your journey, a little bit about your background, um, your family history, um, your education, a little bit about your maybe uh, movie producer career, um, what got you and knowing about the New World Order, the Illuminati, um, a little bit about your background story for anybody that may not have heard the first interview and they may be hearing you here for the first time. Okay, uh, first of all, I'm not a movie producer, but rather a documentary producer. I produced in the past some documentaries, which I'm very glad of having participated in, because I think that, uh, especially when it comes to uh, exposing the Vatican, a lot of things have never been covered, and so in the past I was uh, lucky enough to uh, produce such documentaries, one of them also with uh, my friend Alex Jones uh, in 2015. So we, we, we went on, uh, I mean, uh, my career, uh, like you said, uh, has been a bit varied. I was actually a record producer, though, a record producer and a label owner <laughs> during my time in London. Uh, but I come from a particular family. Uh, when you mentioned the uh, analytical group GAPA, it was actually founded by my father, uh, co-founded by my father, who uh, is missing now for uh, uh, 14 years. He, he uh, died in 2010, but he was a known uh, Jungian psychiatrist and uh, had been uh, working uh, with Meyer, who was uh, the... Uh, 
let's say the heir to Carl Gustav Jung in Switzerland. So very high up in the Jung psychiatrist, uh, let's say, enclave. Uh, however, he broke from psychiatry, wanted to do something different. And so uh, since an early age, I was actually myself also um, witnessing uh, his researches in the paranormal and other things. Uh, he also worked, of course, at an academic level also earlier with Project MK Ultra within the Sorbonne University. So I uh, was uh, privileged to have a father who had such interest, but at the same time also a grandfather who was a politician and uh, a family from an aristocratic background who brought me up uh, and of course uh, I arrived to my early 20s uh, uh, thinking that uh, uh, that the world was definitely in the hands of the elite because that was how I was brought up then later on in life uh, when I was approximately 36 years of age uh, I decided to break from the new world order and in the fall of 2006 uh, as I'm born in 1970, I uh, created my first blog to expose the uh, Illuminati and the New World Order, which I was previously involved with. So this, I guess, is my introduction. Then later on, of course, uh, after I saw how the Internet is manipulated, censored uh, at a very early stage, uh, also, uh, also of the social network, of the rise of the social networks, I saw how this uh, could lead to uh, censorship and so in 2009 i started to uh, publish books i did it first in japan then later on italy followed in 2012 uh, i published uh, six books in japan i published several books in italian i think i lost count of how many but in the end uh, when i started publishing my books in italian as i had moved back there in between 2008-2009 because of the espionage accusations that were moved against me in Norway, uh, I, I ended up uh, though having problems also in Italy because then I got more and more involved also politically myself and in 2019 I was forced to leave uh, Italy and uh, uh, move here to California where I still reside in Palm Springs. So what is the Illuminati exactly, if you could maybe describe it to, you know, the people listening here? Illuminati, we have, to, of course, is a general term for me because I explain in Confessions Volume 1, it's not only the Illuminati of Adam Weishaupt, which I was, of course, also involved in, but it's a number of mystery schools which we commonly refer to as the Illuminati, and a lot of people like to include also large parts of, uh, you know, Freemasonry, the Rosicrucian, all that, which is actually uh, correct to some extent. So I would say that Illuminati is uh, um, here in the West, uh, the occult side of Freemasonry, but also those think tanks, those uh, uh, members of Freemasonry who worked out of their so-called regularity of Freemasonry, which forbids the talks about religion and politics and created uh, bodies uh, where those uh, they were actually pursuing uh, both religion and politics. So um, I think that the Illuminati as a term uh, also within the Western initiatic system has never really been referred only to Adam Bishop because even uh, during his days, he founded, as you know, an order in 1776 called the Order of the Illuminati. There was another Order of the Illuminati 
called the Illuminati of Avignon, founded by a, a, a Catholic monk called Don Pernetti in the south of France. So even back then, there were various Illuminati bodies. And he, already in the 1780s, the term Illuminati had been uh, uh, overused, let's say. And for that reason, they were exposed uh, as such. And Adam Bishop ordered immediately to change the name. And that created an infinity of names. But Having said that, the Illuminati existed even before Adam Bishop in 1776, and it goes back to uh, the Gnostic schools. Uh, this is a subject which I explain in detail in my latest book, Volume 9, with a whole chapter which basically shows how Adam Bishop, the founder of the Illuminati, Albert Pike, the great reformer of the ancient and Scottish Rite, as well as John Yarker, who uh, was also the reformer of the ancient and primitive rite, known as the Memphis and Mizraim, uh, they all pushed Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism uh, then became also neo-Gnosticism in the 1880s, when in 1888, uh, uh, Doniel in France, in the headquarters of the Theosophical Society, refounded reclaimed the Gnostic Church, saying that he medium, uh, as a medium, he was in contact with the Albigians, the Caters, bishops, and he was kind of bestowed upon this new line of Gnosticism, which is actually what you find nowadays. Uh, all those churches that today claim to be Gnostic uh, usually come from this uh, lineage, uh, apart from the Johannites, the ones that instead come from the Templar tradition that believed, erroneously, by the way, that uh, there was uh, uh, more importance to be given to John uh, the Baptist than to Jesus. Uh, and the Johannites, uh, in a way, became uh, also an important element within the so-called uh, uh, tradition of these initiates. So um, regarding the Illuminati, though, like I said, the mystery schools, apart from the fact that it's not only the Western Illuminati, we have also the Eastern Illuminati, the Middle Eastern Illuminati. The Sufis, for example, can be considered the Gnostics and Illuminati themselves. And for example, there's a lot of misunderstanding regarding the Sufis because they are paraded today as these peaceful, loving individuals, why it's, it's much, it's, the reality is very different. And the same can be also said about certain uh, religions in the East. I mean, for example, the Lamas are to be considered Illuminati uh, of the East, uh, and the Lamas in Tibet, both the Red Caps and the Yellow Caps. But we know that, uh, for example, there is a lot of darkness behind the facade of people like the Dalai Lama who then go and kiss little children uh, and suck their tongue. I mean, <laughs> some, some, uh, disgusting things like that. So the, the, the whole system that we have around us has Illuminati both in the West and in the East and in the Middle East. So uh, we are surrounded by their power, but their power is... Uh, to be uh, divided in, of course, the occult power, uh, the power which uh, is uh, more of a spiritual nature, um, and the geopolitical, political, economic uh, power. So that means that, for example, in the last hundred and, let's say, 30 years, I explained this in volume eight of my confessions, we have the birth of... 
a phenomenon like the think tanks. And uh, the rise of the think tanks means uh, eventually the birth of uh, the Club of Rome, uh, the Davos World Economic Forum, and other groups, which or the Bilderberg Club after the Second World War, which are not necessarily uh, participating in occult rituals, you know, and there is a lot of misunderstanding about that, but they are focused, compartmentalized on the use of crude power. And uh, of course, uh, it's not that uh, it's less uh, effective. Uh, so we have uh, the religious power that is represented usually by the institutions of the world, but these institutions have been somehow corrupted because there is a plan, a plan to unify all these religions. Now, this is another subject of importance that I have discussed in the past, but the one world religion is under two forces that uh, are the Jesuits and the Sabbatean Frankists that are the heretics within the Jewish world. So I don't consider the Jesuits necessarily Catholics or Christians per se, because they are heretics, but they are in control, as you know, these days of the Catholic Church. They even have a Pope for the first time uh, on the throne of St. Peter. And the same can be said for the Sabbatean Frankists. They don't reflect Judaism, Orthodox Judaism. They represent all that progressive reform within Judaism that is now creating all these problems, not only in Israel, but also here. They have, of course, a mouthpiece through Hollywood, which is a very strong one, and that was able to brainwash a lot of people for their values. Their values are, of course... Uh, counter-initiation, uh, counter-spirituality. Uh, the darkness that they bring to the world is because they think that uh, within that darkness they can find maybe a sparkle of, 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 of God even there. Uh, the, 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 the actual um, sexual magic that a lot of people, uh, you know, ascribe to Alistair Crowley was born also a long time before Alistair Crowley and the creators of it are to be found within the Sabbatean movement, the Sabbatai Zevi himself. So the, this is basically the world we're living in. It's a world in which there is a lot of different factions and it's very difficult for people to put the puzzle together. So with my books, I try to, uh, and as you know, my books are very thick. They, they are four or 500 pages at times. Maybe there is a lot of studying to do, but that's what it means to understand really the Illuminati rather than uh, just superficially claiming you have understood things by reading a page on the internet. That is not possible. I offer, of course, myself articles regularly on leosagami.com, which are aimed to enlighten people and bring more knowledge about certain subjects. But uh, I also think that with the internet, you can only outline a limited amount because the attention span of people is one page and that's why uh, in 2009 i went to japan and thanks to what became my uh, then soon after my wife uh, christy we went to japan and i was able to sign a book contract because i think that books are capable of really offering a much more in-depth uh, research, just as uh, we are doing now with this interview, you know, one hour and a half, uh, fueled with information. But how much can we really cover in one hour and a half? 
because if you start reading one of these books, uh, you will not go through the first chapter with one hour and a half, probably. So you understand uh, it's, it's, it's about uh, trying to, um, of course, make people more aware, but also we have to understand that, that the people need to study and to make their own mind up, because at times I offer the information without really um, offering uh, a, a, I, I just offer the information, say, you make your mind up about what they are doing, because, you know, I might have my own interpretation. And I say that uh, my own interpretation might be a bias. <laughs> so you also need to make your mind up by studying these topics. And that's why my books are usually co um, correlate with the, uh, a bunch of uh, footnotes and citations. So, for example, for a book like this one, we have uh, something like 600 and, well, 678 footnotes. I mean, it's, it's of course, um, also a way of uh, um, blocking the criticism and those people who say, oh, well, I will debunk Zagami. Well, good luck with that because the sources that I use often are academic and if they go and debunk them, they go and debunk themselves. <laughs> so, so you know, if, if you go and use a source, for for example, from a Georgetown University or Yale or Harvard, I don't necessarily think that these people are superior to us or their, uh, their education is superior to us. But if you want to fight a system, fight them with their own words at times. Now, how does someone become a part of the Illuminati? Is there initiation process? Do you go find them and try to ask to become one? Um, or do they approach you, someone with wealth and power? How was you? Was there initiation? Did you have to drink out of skulls and sit in coffins? Like, was this part of, like, you know, initiation process for the well, Illuminati? The initiation process can be that, of course. But at the same time, you will not be able to find them on the Internet. And any Illuminati that presents itself on the Internet, like in the last few years, we had all these Nigerian scams, people telling me, oh, Leo, I gave $2,000 and they sent me a diploma. And then, and then I discovered it was a Nigerian scam. Well, I'm sorry, my friend, but then you must be a little bit gullible if you think that you can really join the Illuminati on the Internet. Uh, the Illuminati want, uh, of course, power, wealth or the bloodlines. So there is not really any alternative to that. If you are just a, a bum sitting uh, somewhere in, in the middle of America, they're not going to come and search for you. If you actually get a message saying the Illuminati want you, is almost certainly a scam. And uh, this happens every day. So I invite all the people who are uh, receiving these uh, fake messages often on uh, Facebook or on other social networks to uh, to reject them, of course, because they are just as bad as those uh, other kind of scams. Like, I want to put a million dollars in your bank account. It's just like that. I mean, it's just, it's just fake. Um, the real Illuminati, uh, like we said, are a number of orders. When you eventually arrive to the Illuminati, you arrive because you've been maybe initiated already in Freemasonry. So they... They, you went already inside an initiatic kind of surrounding in which you get recruited. Or otherwise, you get recruited from other groups. It can be the Rosicrucians of, that are external to Freemasonry. It can be 
knighthoods. Knighthoods, for example, are one of the easiest and fastest way, but they have to be recognized knighthoods, like the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre, the Knights of Malta, uh, the Teutonic Knights. Uh, then, like I said, there is the awkward part of it, which is the initiation and drinking strange things and all kinds of, or sleeping in coffins, all kinds of, that is, of course, something that is uh, done. But then you have also the, 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 the more, uh, let's say, normal between brackets uh, participations to events that uh, you are simply maybe in a ritual context, but there is nothing really uh, criminal in nature going on. I mean, it's not even criminal to drink some weird animal blood or stuff, but this happens often and animals are sacrificed. But at, at some points, of course, in these fraternities, in these groups, you get people that want to get to the next level. And then at that point, you know, I have always refused the human sacrifice. I always refused participating in those kind of rituals. I remember myself when I was invited once, it was... The year 2001, I kind of like, I was like, what should I, what, what should I say now? You know, I mean, we're going to the woods. I said, well, just going to the woods. I'm very busy with my work. I had a lot of excuses because I was a record producer and a DJ for a number of years also, and I was flying around the world often. So I was not always uh, there. It was outside of London. They were conducting this creepy thing. So I was able to simply, or another time when they brought me into the woods of Norway. But the, the, the whole thing, uh, I mean, seems to me binding amongst people of great power that want to find, uh, uh, of course, uh, ulterior power in uh, sacrificing something to the dark side, to Satan's legion. Uh, and at the same time, binding themselves because, of course, each of one knows a dark secret about the other, the moment in which you participate in something like that. So you can get uh, very easily blackmailed. And that's why I never really wanted to participate to that kind of, uh, um, of thing. But I, it was, for me, actually very revealing when I got initiated into the eighth degree of the OTO. It was at that point that I had access to certain instructions and I remember I was initiated in Oslo uh, and actually I published my initiation diploma and stuff uh, in, in, in one of my books, I think volume one of my confessions. And basically at that point, uh, I went into the instructions that were given with this degree. And the instruction included uh, human sacrifice fetuses that were consumed uh, between members of a satanic congregation, all that. And that really was the moment in which I said, okay, I had enough. And that was the moment in which I broke. But breaking with my past took three years because it wasn't only one group I was a member of. I was a member of several groups and they were all somehow interconnected, including being a Freemason. So they tried to attack me using Freemasonry, knowing that basically nobody in Freemasonry knew about certain things and they could attack me. And so it became a very bad uh, situation that developed within three years. Then I remember after uh, June 2006, uh, when I had this important meeting 
in a, in a monastery in Italy with uh, various people from the Monte Carlo, Giorgio Giunchi, Giorgio Ugo Balestieri, and all these people, when I start to hear the, the, the phrase, uh, Leo, if you don't comply, you will be eliminated. And that's when I said, okay, here I had enough of all this, I'm going to expose you. How I'm going to expose you? I wasn't really a techie. I wasn't really into the internet. I, I hardly had, I, I probably bought my first computer when I, in 2003. I was not really a guy who went on computers and stuff. So for me, uh, uh, even putting, setting up a blog was uh, a new experience. And I didn't know what would come out of it. But uh, in the fall of 2006, I started this exposure. And soon after, immediately after, on the beginning of November 2006, I had the first visit from the intelligence service in Norway, the PST, the Internal Security Police. And they threatened me to clo close down what I, you know, the blog I had just inaugurated or having my child taken. And eventually, they, 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 they did. And so I never saw my child again from 2000 and early 2008 onwards. So I didn't comply with the, their uh, their threats, with what they were, uh, you know, offering. Uh, they offered me this, they offered me that. I, I have been, let's say, uh, very transparent about all these things uh, when I came out uh, on the internet uh, with all these revelations, though people were... Uh, skeptic and at the same time i had thousands of trolls that were sent against me by all these secret societies these groups so they were saying oh they, you know they, and it was very easy for them to to uh, create a bad name around me so between 2006 and 2008 i found myself really with this situation it was very unpleasant uh, in which i uh, was uh, accused of espionage at one point, arrested for espionage and all this. Uh, I had to flee Norway, uh, give up my son and all the rest. But then the solution was only to reveal everything else I knew and to do it in a way that uh, they couldn't really debunk it. And so that's how the confessions of an Illuminati are born. And that's how my work has been uh, conducted uh, since then uh, with a lot of sacrifice of course uh, because then things didn't finish you know i mean when i went on in italy with this kind of things the vatican offered me money to not publish the books in italian i talk about this in volume three of my confessions the vatican openly offered me money with a guy called antonio leonardo montuoro who called me up one day, said I work for the Vatican Intelligence and for General Marinelli, he was called the general by Pope, Fred, Pope sorry, John Paul II. And uh, they invited me to, uh, to talk with them in the Vatican and to, to arrive to, to, to maybe a positive ending with them, offering me a lot of money in my bank account, maybe a position as a grandmaster of one of the recognized knighthoods. And I refused, and, uh, and then I went on publishing these books in Italian, and then my life became even more difficult, more and more. 
I got also politically involved in Italy, and that wasn't really something they liked very much because my books are not only books that you read. And you, these are books that demand action. And at the time uh, in Italy, I was really denouncing a lot of the political scene involved with, uh, with all the various uh, Masonic and uh, Jesuit and manipulation. So in the end, in 2019, I had to simply flee the country because otherwise I will be killed or uh, my wife will be killed or we, we were threatened constantly. And it, it, it was really unpleasant. And uh, the last few months in Italy was really uh, a very tense situation because uh, we had to flee. But at the same time, we didn't have to let our enemy know that we were fleeing Italy. So you can imagine we had to also try to put some money together because my family, of course, uh, uh, being a family of the establishment, didn't want to help me whatsoever at the time. And, and so me and my wife, the only way we could actually gather some money was uh, thanks to the sale of the books. And thanks God, I had just published volume 6.66 in the early months of 2019. And uh, thanks to that book, uh, I was able to put the sum of money that uh, would, to, to just leave the country and start a new life here in, uh, in the United States of America, which I did from May 2019. I never uh, went back to Europe uh, since then. And so I, I am uh, glad, though, to be able to write my books freely without the threats I had in Italy, the police breaking through my door or, or threatening my wife or, or doing things uh, to, 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 to us. Uh, this was very unpleasant. Um, so I sacrificed very much for uh, revealing uh, what I know. And uh, it's sad that... Uh, uh, unfortunately, in, the, in this uh, so-called truth movement, let's define it, uh, you used to call it truth. I don't know how you call it nowadays. Uh, but uh, um, there is a lot of jealousy and people are, no, this, that, or Liu Zagami is still this or still that. Well, uh, guys, uh, I had to renounce to my own life uh, of privileges to be here. So I like always to, to remind that to the people who are watching because then they will understand. Here is a person who has suffered, who has been incarcerated, tortured, and has to renounce to his own son for doing what I'm doing. I don't see other uh, people um, who are uh, offering you this kind of research having suffered so much. With all the respect, even for David Icke, who helped me out in 2006, he was one of the first people who picked up on my articles. I mean, I don't see David Icke, apart from being banned from entering Europe and other things that, of course, are, you know, to some extent can, 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 can be uh, annoying. I don't see him being threatened, him or his sons, or other uh, people within this world, including Alex Jones or others. Here is a bit of a different situation here. Uh, uh, so, so for that reason... I think uh, I'm very much looking forward for people to discover my confessions. And now I brought out uh, uh, last year this book, uh, but I'm preparing also for volume 10 that will come out uh, in the next few months. And volume 10 will be one of the most important and shocking books that will reveal something that people uh, will find more shocking than ever.
and uh, with evidence in hand. Because when I make my claims, I don't just make my claims. I show the documents, I show the pics, I show everything, the photos, the testimony, let's say. So it, it will be a very important book, especially because it's going to be based on Islam and what is happening in the Middle East. Fascinating. And people in the truth movement are very, very skeptical. And, you know, if you even go on somebody's show or somebody's on your show, then all of a sudden they label you as maybe one of those controlled ops and everybody's pointing fingers in every direction. And this seems to happen when we had David Icke on the show um, was interview number 15 when we started The Missing Link. One of the questions I asked him was, were you ever invited to be in any secret societies? And he laughed and he said, they know better than that was his response to me when I asked him about that. We've interviewed his son, Gareth Ike. And I, no, I, I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, I like them very much. Gareth also, I, I mean, you know, I, I speak with them. I was a guest in their uh, platform. They made an excellent interview last year to me. Um, but in fact, mine wasn't a criticism, but simply an example, though. Uh, I don't think, li literally, there is somebody else currently who has given so much to be uh, here and to offer you what is written in these books. Now, you can, of course, take it from a salesman point of view and say, this guy is just wanting to sell his product. And let me remind you, however, that uh, when I started all this, I didn't have any books. I offered everything for free and I did it for a number of years. My first book in the English language came only in 2014, 15. And it came out really out of necessity for me because uh, in Italy, I had been involved in the pitchforks revolution and earlier on I had been a candidate uh, for parliament uh, in 2013. And so my books uh, at that point had been literally picked up from the shelves and thrown away. And my books were doing very well in Italy because uh, I had been uh, a regular guest on one of Berlusconi's TV shows, Mistero, uh, on Italia Uno. Uh, regularly and that meant millions of people were watching me and it was a very big platform to actually uh, expose certain things and so my books uh, actually you you could find my books in the libraries on every train station in Italy it was incredible I, I had a Leo Zagami section in, in these famous bookshops everywhere and suddenly they were put out uh, and, and, and there was also threats by the Vatican to those uh, distributors for my book dedicated to the Pope that uh, eventually came out in the English language as Pope Francis, the last Pope. And so I didn't have a future in Italy anymore as an author. So we came here with my wife in early 2014 after I had been arrested and locked up. And thanks to my lawyers, I was capable of getting out of that. And it was a really bad experience, especially traumatic for my wife, because she's American. You know, she didn't know that these people could do things like this. Smash your door, come in, uh, put a torch in your face, interrogate you. Based on what? No crime had been done. And, and so 
uh, I came here. I stayed in California for uh, a few months in the spring uh, of uh, 2014. I found a book contract with Brad Olson eventually uh, with the CCCC Publishing. Uh, thanks to Sean Stone, our common friend Sean Stone, the son of Oliver Stone, and and we uh, and, and and at that point I started to put out these books in the English language, but it was no easy kind of project because I had already published five books in the Italian language. They had to be translated. These books are very thick books, as you know. It will take a long time for translating them, and in fact, uh, it took me three years to translate five. Uh, these five books and wow. uh, it took five years it was like no sorry took three years and uh, we can say over four because in 2018 i also had the invisible master later coming out in i was 19 so i mean it took really almost five years and uh, i was obviously working day and night with my wife to not only write them uh, to translate them in English but to adapt them to the American language and make sure that they didn't result as translations because I hate books that sound like they are translated you know so I wanted to really give the real feel uh, in that period in 2015 Alex Jones came to visit me in Rome to apologize and this is also very important he apologized and he apologized for one reason uh, Alex, uh, uh, when I first brought out my blog in 2006, had said I wasn't a trustable source because I had been, I was Muslim at the time, officially, on paper. Eh? I was a Muslim because I had married a Muslim woman. And so the only way of marrying her was to officially, between brackets, being a, uh, a Muslim. So he said, you, you can't trust Amazim. So I said, okay, no problem, uh, Alex, no worries. And so he felt uh, obliged to come and apologize to me in Rome. I remember our first encounter uh, in the middle of St. Peter's Square, in the, in the middle of, of, of St. Peter's Square in a, in, in a night setting. So it was very particular, very dumb brownish kind of situation. Then we went on producing a documentary about the Vatican exposed and working for a number of years exposing the Vatican. Uh, so th that was also something that happened. But also when he came there, he said, will you like to support Donald J. Trump? Because I actually liked this uh, candidate. Uh, we were at the primaries, eh? so it wasn't yet, uh, he wasn't yet the candidate for the Republican Party. It was still the primaries. There was Jeb Bush, all this, uh, Ted Cruz, all these people involved at the time. So what happened was that I said, well, I think he's a great uh, option because he's not a politician. He's a businessman. He doesn't need the money. It's not like Obama who knows that after he finishes his political career, he has a contract with Netflix or a book contract or some other millionaire contract. He doesn't care about that. He has his own business. So I said, this is the kind of guy that could really change the American political scenario. And so I decided to support him with an organization that we created in Rome. It's called, uh, still to this day, it's called Italians for Trump. Uh, Trampiani d'Italia, some call it, and I found it together with a couple of politicians, the Italian politicians. One was uh, Gianmario Ferramonti, the co-founder of the Northern League, and the other one was Antonio Maria Rinaldi, who became later on uh, is currently a member of the European Parliament. 
And it was a very unusual organization because for the first time we were supporting a candidate who then became the American president, but then uh, we were also the first ones to greet him as American president abroad. And in fact, uh, Steve Bannon praised our organization and we became uh, very known at the time because we were only the only organization abroad who had supported Trump, who had helped Trump also with the Italo-American community actively in Washington. Uh, the Italo-American community is a very strong community here in America. So um, we actually helped them very much. Uh, but this also meant further persecution because in Italy, those bunch of leftist uh, uh, mafiosi, Jesuite stooges, they hated the fact that I was involved with Trump. And so the persecution only increased for me. Uh, but uh, I am a guy who doesn't fear persecution. If it happens, it happens, and I will just uh, find, uh, hopefully, a solution. And my solution now is, uh, of course, uh, to finally become American and reject uh, completely my Italian and European citizenship because I think that uh, Europe is finished, finito. And Italy is no longer the romantic place you have in the movies and stuff. It's actually a currently a nightmare with an invasion taking place from Northern Africa daily. So, and the Vatican is encouraging all this, just as they're encouraging it here in America. Uh, but I'm very glad that we have uh, this beautiful constitution and the possibility of having freedom of speech and expression. This is a... Uh, this is something that I don't think that the people here in America appreciate enough. Here in America, you can actually criticize your president. You know what happens by law if you criticize your president in Italy? You end up with seven years in jail. Wow. As a journalist, I was condemned for what I wrote in both my books and my articles, risking a with a criminal law it's not like here, you just get a lawsuit. You, you, you end up in jail as a journey. That's how they silence people. And so I hope that people realize these differences uh, and, 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 and the way that, uh, that Italy now is evolving, of course, like the rest of Europe, in a clash between America and the Sino-Russian world order is being compressed and utterly destroyed. The fact that uh, we see here in America, fortunately, where some kind of democracy still exists, we have uh, the Congress saying no to further founding of an unjust war in Ukraine, which is a completely waste of time, money, and human resources. But in Europe, they force people without any possibility of even going, uh, uh, you know, and, and saying, I, I, as Italy, don't want to support Ukraine. No, you can't do that. In Italy, it's a technocracy that forces every nation member to just blindly follow their diktat. Technocracy is not democratic, and it's, uh, they are in preparation now for the advent of cyber Satan in 2013. That will be when a country like Europe will simply be run by artificial intelligence, like other countries in the world, like China. These are dictatorships. They are not. There is no future for democracy 
with the, the takeover of Cyber Satan, which I have denounced in Trilogy, which I started with volume 6.66, then I continued with volume 7, which also talks about the dark, occult side of the World Economic Forum in Davos, but then it continues with volume 9, where I also explain what happens when quantum computing would merge with artificial intelligence, and that meaning the end of the world as we know it, because uh, they will be capable of doing things that are completely incredible to our eyes. I mean, uh, Christians know that in the end times we will be misled by false prophets, by images that will be misleading, by false promises and everything else that goes with it. But they don't really know how all this will manifest. But it's becoming kind of obvious that the mark of the beast is manifesting through the use of technology. It's obvious that transhumanism is that stage in which we will lose our humanity. So my work is based on preserving that humanity, preserving our culture as humans, built as a, in the reflection of God, and at the same time, trying to build an alternative. Because like I said in Volume 7, also in Volume 9, there is going to be a moment in which we will have to reject what they are proposing to us. And we will no longer be able to live in smart cities, which will be controlled by the AI, just as we will no longer be able to drive cars if all the cars will be controlled by the AI. Only if we retain, of course, our own traditional methods. And so a conservative society these days doesn't mean necessarily the bigotry of some kind of uh, image that might some people might have about conservative. Here we're talking about simply conser conserving our human nature that is being led astray by the new technology and uh, we have seen it uh, just uh, the other day with the launch of Gemini AI, what can happen when uh, a woke uh, uh, engineer projects an AI which basically transforms suddenly Nazi soldiers in black soldiers or, or, or suddenly the, the heroes of history change color, change identity, change race, all based, of course, on their woke uh, insanity. So here uh, we, we have to fight in the immediate. And uh, of course, I, I think that California is the place uh, which at the moment has more responsibility than any other place in the world. Here we have a delegated to China, of course, the construction of the hardware of what we are using now, even now, now I'm moving it. All this is probably all generated in China. The ideas, though, the software, the thing is all generated in California. So then you have the, the evil governor Newsom, this uh, Gavin Newsom, who of course bows down to China, is received in China like a great friend, because these people are interconnected. And they are interconnected also because Chinese Freemasonry has been establishing itself for 200 years here in America and has their headquarters in San Francisco, something that not many people know, 
the actual takeover uh, and, and, and the last emperor, as you know, people hear about the movie, The Last Emperor in China. Now, uh, but everything was planned here in America, in San Francisco, in a lodge of Chinese Freemasons that still exist to this day. So I hope that I gave you. <laughs> no, that, that that was great. So, um, you know, uh, some people when you mentioned, you know, the Alex Jones, some people, you know, still skeptical about him potential. You know, we're well, I, I tell you one CIA, thing about CIA, Alex, CIA. CIA. Um, yes. I, just to, you mentioned Trump. Um, I had high hopes for him. Um, he came in. He surround. He said he was going to drain the swamp. He surrounded himself. Yeah, with but the, the, the thing is about the, the, you have to. These are two different people. These days, mm -hmm. when it comes down to Alex Jones, I myself, uh, I'm a bit surprised about sometimes uh, what's happening at Infowars. Like, for example, they didn't have me on uh, in 2023. They didn't have me on in 2024. They gave me a band of video channel, but I'm not allowed on their, on their shows any longer. It seems like maybe my uh, ideas, what I'm proposing is not in line. I don't know. Um, I'm not happy about it because I sacrificed a lot for working with Alex when I was back in Italy. Uh, but however, it's, it's his choice. Uh, I think that some things have probably changed, and this was confirmed also uh, by some people internally to enforce after the Sandy Hook uh, and what happened with him being condemned with over a billion dollars and all that. So. I understand there is some maybe some problems there. Having said that, regarding instead regarding Trump, Trump was the guy who made possible for me to have the green card. Uh, Trump is the guy who made possible for me to become hopefully soon American, and Trump is the guy who yes is no saint and he has done some great mistakes i didn't support absolutely his embracing of uh, of the, the, the i don't know if you want me to say injection, it because injection. we can call it injection we can yes. say injection yes because i don't want to yeah, yeah. we just don't uh, say the v uh, and then i don't have yeah. to take it off of youtube okay. usually the other platforms are fine yes. but uh sometimes if we say some bud yes. buzzwords and things then i just have to put it private on youtube but i, I injection is fine because that can mean anything Okay, so the injection, I was absolutely contrary to his endorsement, even uh, the work that he did uh, initially with uh, Dr. Fauci. I think uh, Dr. Fauci completely duped him into believing I don't know what. But uh, having said all this, uh, at the moment, uh, he's risking everything. And when you risk everything, uh, meaning everything, is a little bit like, you know, I had the same kind of feeling when I was risking everything. And then after I was forced into leaving Italy by a left-wing judiciary, completely biased, completely, just like it's happening nowadays, where he, have all, he has all these court cases, one after the other. And uh, when I arrived here in America in 2019, I went to visit Alex uh, in Texas. I told them, you know, all of you will have to expect this kind of attack. Having said that, uh, um, of course, I am an independent person. I do my own decisions uh, and uh, I work independently from Alex or from any other person. But regarding uh, Trump, uh, I can say there is no other political choice in the US at the moment. If you want to completely change uh, America, 
uh, well, I think that uh, at the moment, uh, Trump is, is offering a solution. A lot of people will say, ah, no, this, that. Guys, other countries don't have still the little democracy that is left here in America. Remember that. You have never lived in a communist country if you never resided in Europe. You don't know what it means to be smashed your door because of a Facebook post like it happened to me. To be threatened because of your beliefs. This is not happening here in America. Now, I know that under the Biden era, he's starting to instrumentalize and to actually, use but it, FBI. But it, actually, but it actually is happening in America. So no, no, it's not. But, no, but, but, no but, listen, but listen, so yesterday we just interviewed hmm. Alpha Warrior. Um, his name is Alfredo Luna. He used to be um, a Marine. Um, he was in law enforcement. He was an undercover gang um, you know, op, you know, uh, agent, you know, working with the gang unit. Um, he actually was part of the J6 because some posts that he made on the internet, they came, they kicked in his door with the, with the arm. He wasn't no, even at, he wasn't even anywhere in okay, part that, of J6. So, so, so this is starting to happen now, even with someone that was a military Marine police officer. And he actually wants me to connect with you. So we actually talked, I said, you're going to come. Uh, on the show today, he said he's actually been trying to reach you. So I was going to link you guys up together if that's something that you'd be interested in, because he's got his own podcast now as well. Okay, okay. No, but uh, like I said, it's starting to happen here in America. So after I arrived in America, then of course we know that uh, Joe Biden, in one way or another, became president. And from that moment onwards, unfortunately, things have changed and have changed for the worst. So it's obvious that they are using the FBI, the DOJ, the, the, even the CIA, the NSA as uh, uh, instruments for uh, suppressing uh, the political opposition. But like I said, in the political game, nobody's a saint. My grandfather was a senator, so I learned a lot about politics from a very early age and about the corruption within politics from a very early age. My grandfather was poisoned and died in 1974 because of politics. He was uh, actually poisoned with, uh, with arsenic given inside his coffee within the Senate of Italy. So I know exactly what it means, the political game. I know also that, uh, like somebody said in the chat, uh, a president doesn't really have real power when you have the military industrial complex, the big pharma that are against you. You will have to do some compromises. And the system is unfortunately rigged to some extent. Having said that, though, I still prefer to have uh, Trump as president than anybody else at the moment. And I know that that might not be popular with all your viewers, but that is the reality, because otherwise, what is the, the alternative? The alternative is uh, uh, the, the, the Kennedy guy. The Kennedy guy is a guy who is sustaining the most illegitimate of proposals, which Newsom is also sustaining, the fact that we should give money to the descendants of slaves when in California we didn't even have slavery. So that is your kind of candidate. Well, welcome to Kennedy. I mean, Kennedy, remember where he comes from, where, what is his family. So I think that that is not really an option, a feasible option. 
and uh, and that's why but politics uh, like we said is a very corrupt game so you have to compromise here and there and it's not really the people with ultimate power the ultimate power we know is uh, consisting in people which have billions of dollars and can go in and out of the white house like alex soros just like he's having you know oh let me go to the white house and tell them what to do today the alternative of not voting, uh, I think, is stupid because this is a great right that we have. And but it's I all think... but the thing though, it's all corrupted. So they control both sides, right? And they no, control the no, judges no, through no. the Freemasonry, they control the lawyers through the bar association. It's loyalty to the Let's make it clear. There's only one side at the moment. And the moment the side that is controlling the judiciary is left wing imposed since the end of the 60s, they've been brainwashed, they take control of the universities. When you make a statement like this, you're not taking into account the fact that the university are taken control by one side only. Freemasonry here in California is progressive. If I wear a MAGA hat and go in a lodge in, in California, I get kicked out of the lodge. So let's be a little bit more accurate with this. Uh, there is one side that is taking control. The Illuminati are communists, are leftists. Adam Weishaupt, disciple, created the League of the Just that in turn created the manifesto of Karl Marx. These are communists. Mao Zedong was a communist, but he was also helped by the left-wingers here in America who were financed by the Rothschilds. Jesuit, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about who maybe be pulling these strings at the top echelon of things. So we talked about how um, they have a different tentacles everywhere, the Freemasonry, yeah. the, example, uh, the Jesuits, it's, it's everywhere. But who's on maybe the top of that pulling the strings? Because some people believe it's the, the, the Jewish people that are controlling things. Some people yeah, but, believe it's okay, the Jesuits. Okay. Uh, like, when you say Jewish people, that's really racist. Yeah, but I'm, I didn't say no, I said no, some no, people no, say, no, no, no. Some people say no, no, that that have, is. No, no, we have to be a little bit. Okay, it's like saying the African people or the African-American. I mean, I'm not racist. So let's not define people by race or by the color of the skin, but by the ideas and what they are proposing. In so the Zionism, Jew some people say it's the Zionism. No, 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 no. And, and that, that is another misunderstanding. Within Judaism, you need to study Judaism. Did you ever study Judaism? Because yeah. within Judaism is Shabbatai Zevi, Nathan Gaza, then there was Jacob Frank. Do you know about these people? Do you know how they evolved within the Jewish community, their blasphemous heresies? Yeah. And this they weren't even supposed to create the state of Israel. This goes against the actual Jewish teachings. When the Rothschilds came in, they're not supposed to actually have a state until the Messiah comes back. So what they did in Israel is actually goes against Judaism it, it, teachings. Let's say in the 1850s, Christian Zionism supported this idea. And eventually it would be manifest uh, with, of course, also the, the support of the Sabbatean Frankists. So, first of all, we have to understand, is it wrong that we have a state of Israel? Absolutely not, because in Europe, France, in England, and Russia push the Jews with pogroms, with persecution, to not have a home any longer in Europe. So where the hell do you want them to go? Now, a proposal was given, and the proposal was, should we bring them here? Should we bring them there? Should we bring them here? Should we bring them there? There was a bunch of proposals that were given. 
And at the end, of course, the Rothschild, Sabatian Frankist, with the Balfour Declaration, ended up with the recognition of what became the present state of Israel. But can we condemn those people who then went to Israel starting from the 1880s in large numbers when they were pushed to go there? I'm doing the question to you. Uh, well, again, it goes against their teachings. Um, to no, have man, I'm not talking to... about the teachings, my friend. I'm talking about the people who were picked up in villages, tortured and treated like animals, pogroms. Have you ever heard of the pogroms in, in Russia or not? Have you ever, ever heard of the persecution of the Jews in Europe or not? Because uh, if yeah. you don't hear about that, uh, then we are not on the same pace. Because I, I, I have, and the Bolsheviks came and they, they, no, no, no. they infiltrated, the Bolsheviks came and infiltrated in Russia, you know, things that they teach about history. Okay. Um, a lot of it is fabricated just to get yeah. people angry about some of these issues. No, so this, all, is, this is history this, this, needs to be lived. That's why I been in Russia maybe, I don't know, 30 times. I worked with the Ministry of Culture of Russia. I know a lot about Russia and even, I think even some Russians don't know about. I studied certain things. And so when it comes to Zionism, Zionism was a creation that was immediately infiltrated uh, when they had this uh, worldwide Jewish conferences to create this idea Eventually, things unfortunately went out of hand immediately because there is always the interest. You have to understand if the Ottoman Empire didn't end up, we would probably not have the present Jewish, uh, sorry, state. The Israeli uh, state is built upon what used to be Ottoman Empire territory. For hundreds of years, the Ottoman rule. So, First of all, we need to go back to the whole story of the Ottoman. Then there is the story of the Sejuk Turks. They take over from the caliphate of the Fatimids. The Fatimids and, the, and the, there was the Abbasid caliphate. You need to know all the history of Islam if you want to go arrive to the point of knowing the history where we are now and making certain assertions. So it's very, I think uh, it's very important uh, that we realize that we can't, you know, the people that are being killed today, for example, in Gaza, might be innocent, a lot of them. But the same thing can be said for the people that on the 7th of October were picked up from their kibbutz, raped, uh, and, and other terrible things, and kidnapped. So the generally the majority of people have to suffer the consequences of uh, decisions that are made in the upper echelons where you were talking before. No, you would say, who is in charge on top? Those are the people, because then the normal folk, like me and you, the, the guy who doesn't have neither billions, neither political or religious influence, we are only subject to all this. Now, when it comes to the 7th of October, of course, it might be partly what some people say, a false flag. No, it's basically what happens here 
is that a lot of people within the Jewish government closed their eyes to what was about to happen. And so that is the same thing that happened here in the U.S. on 9-11. People turned the other way while, while uh, uh, Hutt uh, and his uh, bunch of terrorists were putting together their plan and they were uh, actually... We are talking about uh, one of the most... Uh, terrible moments uh, in, 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 in recent American history, uh, 9-11, no? You had uh, Mohammed Hatta and his terrorists, and everybody thinks, wow, these people, the behind them, there was Osama bin Laden and everything. Then we realized a very different thing. We realized that Mohammed Hatta was uh, actually training himself a few miles from the Saratoga Elementary School where... George Bush will be reading that book and doing his pet goat ritual on that morning. We, we discovered that basically uh, Hatta went to Egypt uh, and there he was brainwashed. Uh, and then eventually he was uh, uh, presented uh, for uh, this operation to Osama bin Laden, who himself had been a tool for decades of the CIA. Yeah, we've had we've had yeah we've had a few people that went extensively into 9/11. We got Brian Stavely. He's going to come, uh, I think, next month. I'm um, talking about 9/11. But um, again, the power structure. What where do you think the Kazarian mafia um, kind of fits into okay, what's going because on? The mafia is uh, something I have debunked completely with one of my shows. Uh, showed also one book that I think it's a, a great book that I have here that anybody can go and purchase if they want is the Jews of Kazaria in which you can have basically a clear idea of everything simply by one thing there is no Kazarian identity because there is no Kazarian DNA when you don't have a DNA you can't talk about the Kazarian the Kazarian were simply people who adopted the Jewish faith now for a long time, uh, there has been a conspiracy theory saying that the Ashkenazis are in reality descendants from the Kazarians. No, absolutely not. And when they did the DNA research, in the end, they proved that that is completely false. So we have to go by, by science. Now, there is two Jewish main, no, there is the Sephardic Jews and the Ashkenazi Jews. We have the Ashkenazi, the more European, lived in Central Europe mostly, and then you have the Sephardic that are more, let's say, Middle Eastern looking, more dark, uh, and, and, and have, uh, so there is these two main branches. But the Kazarian doesn't have a DNA. There is not a Kazarian DNA. There is an Ashkenazi DNA. There is a Sephardic DNA. There is no Kazarian DNA. So um, the Kazarian Mafia was a conspiracy theory that was created by the Sabbatian Frankis to cover up their own things. Because uh, Jacob Frank was born in Ukraine. And Madame Blavatsky was born in Ukraine. And these people are the people that screwed up the world. Madame Blavatsky, with the foundation of the Theosophical Society that then gave birth to modern Satanism, with people like Alistair Crowley, uh, Aquino, Michael Aquino was part of the Theosophical Society, and many others. 
modern Satanism will not be the same without the Theosophical Society. When it comes instead to Jacob Frank, Jacob Frank was the guy who claimed to be the reincarnation of Sabbatai Zevi, who brought to the Catholic faith 20,000 converts in exchange of him being nobilitated and living in a great sumptuous palace. But then the teachings of Sabbatai, of, of Sabbatai Zevi that were uh, claimed by his heir, Jacob Frank, became the teaching of his cousin. The cousin of Jacob Frank founded an order, the, brother, the Asian Brotherhood, which became in turn the people who founded the Bohemian Club. So these are all interconnected. So the moment in which you say Kazarian, yeah, but Kazarian, what is this Kazarian mafia about? What about Lucius Trust? How do what do you know about the Luciferian trust that became Lucius Trust? And that is uh, that, another that, element that comes from the Theosophical Society. Yeah, Theosophical Society was very uh, important in the ground foundations of what later became the United Nations. Uh, and, and, and basically, Lucy's Trust was a breakup from the Theosophical Society, the moment in which Alice Bailey wanted to simply uh, put together with uh, her husband, who was a Freemason, uh, was very high up also in, in the Freemasons and the Illuminati. And uh, uh, the, the Lucifer Trust was created as Lucifer Trust, then it was changed the name of course uh, later on because uh, uh, people were like what is lucifer you know so they they they, they, they lose trust but it is still in existence it of course is still very influential and, uh, um, and but in general the theosophical society was very influential right at the start of the united nations and this is a topic which i discussing volume nine in particular, because today the United Nations are on top of a series of institutions that is molding and crafting a future against any, uh, you know, when I said science before, science is often abused as a term. Like, for example, we have the OMS, we have, uh, the, which uh, basically I call it, we call OMS in Italy, but in reality is the World Health Organization, which is now in the hands of China. We have uh, the FAO, the Agricultural Organization, which basically also of the United Nations in charge of uh, all the, um, the food sector, the agricultural sector, and that is also now in the hands of China. But uh, these are the organization with like, for example, that have then generated the Codex Alimentarius that then in turn is now pushing for the insect eating, uh, you know, the various uh, flower made of insects or uh, generating meat out of a lab. Uh, all this happens because there is these institutions that are generated from the from the United Nations. And the United Nations, though, didn't just appear one day. It was a project, a project, of course, with a Masonic backing. You can see it from the symbol of the United Nations, that it is a Masonic symbol. And, 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 and of course, we have within the headquarters that were created in New York, by the way, the land was given by the Rockefeller family, which is a very important family, that also together with the Rothschild has uh, been uh, spearheading uh, this uh, new world order. And they have a room uh, 
called the uh, the room of meditation, a uh, room dedicated to prayer, which is basically a room uh, which instead uh, it is uh, uh, to focus their egregore. Egregore meaning a thought form that they generate because the Theosophical Society always believed in the power of the thought form of the egregore. I don't know if you ever uh, have... Uh, discussed in your show this uh, topic or not no but i wanted to get your knowledge on say the black pope the gray pope the white pope you know some of the bloodline families the orsini's sarsosa aldo brandini's um you know some of these family bloodlines and how they may be you know kind of at the top pulling all the strings of all these different masonry and jesuits and freemasons and um, Illuminati, um, you know, what's your thoughts on the actual bloodlines, you know, maybe pulling the strings to everything that's going on? We discussed at the beginning of the show the knighthoods, uh, the various uh, families that you just mentioned, the Orsini, the Brandini, the Colonna, many others within what is defined as the black aristocracy, meaning those uh, aristocratic families that were more loyal to the Pope. There, were, there was in the, in, in the medieval times and later on, a division between two factions, one loyal to the Pope and the other one traditionally opposing the Pope. Um, and so these two factions uh, were developed within the aristocracy and the faction closer to the Pope became the black aristocracy. Usually the black aristocracy, the families that you mentioned, uh, were given uh, specific offices within the Vatican, and some of them also, some of these families, uh, like, uh, for example, the Borghese, also family that uh, was connected uh, with, uh, um, with Napoleon, they also had the popes and stuff, but many others also had popes, cardinals. That It was basically, uh, they, they have been in charge, let's say, uh, they are in charge of these knighthoods still to this day. A lot of them are in charge of these knighthoods within the Vatican. That's why I told you the Illuminati and the knighthoods are one thing. Uh, so uh, we can say that uh, uh, to this day, their, their influence is still uh, very much present. Uh, if they control the whole world, I don't think so, because these days, uh, yes, you have some of these families that... that that thanks to these knighthoods are able to transversally be present in various countries. Like, for example, the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre has even a Russian branch, and also the Knights of Malta through the Savoy family has still dealings with the Vatican and is used these days, especially in times of turmoil, for diplomatic means. Um, but having said that, uh, there is not one single family or one single individual that controlled the whole world. If I was to say an office that is more influential than the other, definitely the office of Pope is the most influential. But then there is also the office of Black Pope, which means the office of general of the Jesuits. The Illuminati work as instruments, as agents of the Jesuits. So... Um, the agents of the Illuminati are like members of a Luciferian court in which the Jesuits, though, detain the ultimate control over sp spiritual or uh, 
let's say, means, uh, uh, while instead, uh, for example, the Sabatian Frankists detain more interest within the banking system. So you have uh, both the Sabatian Frankists at a worldwide level, people like the Rothschild, for example, they are Sabatian Frankists, that they made a deal with the Vatican, creating a group known as the Council for Inclusive uh, Capitalism, which is another important topic that I touch in my book, in which I explain how the Linder Rothschild connected also to the Democratic Party uh, and Obama, she is part of this council, driving, connecting and uh, controlling this council for inclusive capitalism, which sees also the participation of Pier Giorgio Bassi, who is the vice president of the Academy of the Illuminati in Rome of Giuliano Di Bernardo. Um, so some people say Switzerland. Switzerland is the place where Giuliano Di Bernardo created the, uh, the, um, the Dignity Lodge and later on uh, it will uh, manifest in what is now known as the Dignity Order, which in turn was very influential in places like Ukraine, Romania, but Ukraine in particular. And that's why it gave birth to what is now known as the Day of Dignity in in Ukraine. Uh, so there is a lot of influence there. Uh, so if I had to say the most influential people at the moment, definitely it uh, would be the, 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 the head of the Jesuits, who is currently a friend of Pope Francis, always from South America, Sosa, Venezuelan, and, and, then, uh, and then we have... But who is now the people currently doing crimes in the United States of America? Question. The BlackRock and BlackRock and Vanguard. No, I'm, and... I'm talking about criminals that you hear every day in the news. I'm talking about Venezuelans that are pushed into this country, criminals that have been pushed into this country deliberately. Talk about MS6, the MS-16 or like uh, the, the gangs that come no, from they're there? Also, they're also part of gangs, but deliberately, they're, they're also part specific of Venezuela. Venezuela is uh, it's a country that, of course, has very high, very good interest with both China and Russia, in which they are basically flooding America with older criminals so that these criminals can, like Central America, all those gangs, the gang you just mentioned, the, from the various parts of South America and Central America where these gangs are present, to destroy the very fabric of American, uh, of the American dream. So Chavez used to be the president of Venezuela. And at that time, he was actually a pretty good president. He was aligned with Cuba and Russia and China, like you said. Um, and what happened was after sorry, President sorry. Chavez. And so after he died, that's when the destabilization of Venezuela happened. And once the destabilization I personally, of it... Personally, I don't think that being in line with China or Russia is necessarily a good thing. Uh, Russia does some good things, but they do it for their own people. I'm never I, in line I didn't say it was a China. good thing, but what he was yeah. doing for his people at the time, like gas was at eight cents a liter... Like, sure, you know, sure. like 10 cents a gallon. He, like, yeah, everything was, yeah. everything was running yeah. fine until, was, until he yeah, died. Yeah, but Chavez was a communist. You can't say a communist does good things because he might, uh, you know, briefly do something good because, uh, let's not forget, that Chavez, uh, first of all, had been a military before he was okay, a what do you What do you think of Muammar Gaddafi and how he treated his people? 
Muhammad Gheddafi also is a guy who had a lot of skeletons in the closet. I mean, uh, yes, he was eventually killed by the New World Order, and that is uh, something that has destabilized the whole of Northern Africa, and that actually brings higher the threat of immigration because it's like lifting a tap, you know? Uh, Libya was actually a very pleasant country. I had my friend who I actually wrote uh, a couple of books with, uh, Princess Karo Nakamaro, who interviewed uh, Muammar Gaddafi. And uh, he, he, he was a man for his people. Who, who... You see, the, the problem here is this. Uh, but was he a communist or what? Was he a dictator? Um, so you was, said communist. Absolute dictator. I mean, you can't say that Gaddafi was a communist in the arts. All these people who claim, I mean, communism is uh, uh, in Italy, we have a saying, but I don't think I can say it here uh, for your viewers because it's a little bit uh, rude. But it's, uh, it's like uh, you can do the communist with the ass of other people. Yes, you can claim communism, like for example, Kim Jong un in North Korea, but I don't see Kim Jong un as being a communist himself. He's a dictator. So uh, Gaddafi was uh, another product, of course, uh, of the Western elite who let him arrive to his position. And when they decided that they had enough of him, they eliminated him. And that is uh, very sad, but that is uh, the truth. Uh, I, think country, the media... I, think he, I think he had enough with them. He wanted to start doing off the gold standard. He was doing a lot of good things for the people. He was doing a lot of things that they didn't want. I think it was him the one who turned their back on him once he became to power. He actually wanted to do good things for his people. And, you know, I, I've researched, you know, him quite extensively and he was trying to get the, all he was trying to free um, Africa from the New World Order. He was trying to put everything on a gold okay. stand. He, you know, he was he he did a lot of good things yes, for that country and his the people. Good things up to a certain extent, because Libya was an Italian colony and you don't know the story of Libya, but Libya was an Italian colony in the early 70s. The Italians were kicked out. People who end land, who actually helped building his country, were kicked out brutally. The Italians were forced out of uh, Libya in a brutal way. So that is not something that I personally think it was a positive thing. No, then, obviously he didn't do everything perfect. He wasn't a saint, right? No, but, no, no. Uh, but you know, dealing with happened... dealing with these criminals, you know, Satanists that you know that you know have alliance to Moloch and you know it's not the easiest thing to try to take the grips out of these countries because you know that this whole system is you know infiltrated every country on earth is infiltrated by these people okay first of all all these countries were colonies colonies of either Great Britain or France okay so then Italy also intervened briefly and had a couple of colonies, but it wasn't like such a big deal because Mussolini didn't really manage to colonize much. But anyway, these countries were all part of, you know, the colony that, I mean, when it came down to, uh, to Libya, it expanded from what used to be a British colony. And the Italian Empire conquest of Ottoman Tripolitania uh, during the Italo-Turkish War then and, uh, and all these things. So it's a bit complex because the territorial agreement with 
it's a little bit like nowadays we have the Islamic fundamentalists who are basically uh, a certain kind of fundamentalism while we define the Sufis as these peaceful Sufis. In that period, actually, all these uh, Northern African countries uh, had movements uh, that were terroristic in nature and they were Sufis. So this just to give you an idea of how things uh, are, uh, were a little bit different. Um, the problem here is basically the colonial powers, Great Britain and France. It was the people of Great... It was these powers who eventually generated the problem that we still suffer in the Middle East to this day, including the problems with Israel. The Sykes-Picot agreement was from, uh, uh, from 1916. And that was uh, the secret meeting that was taking place between France and England, France and Great Britain, for the spheres of influence over the Middle East. Like, for example, England would say, I keep Egypt as a sphere of influence. You keep Lebanon as a sphere of influence. These countries were generated artificially out of an empire that had ruled for hundreds of years, the Ottoman Empire. Suddenly you had Jordan. Suddenly you had the level, suddenly you have Egypt, suddenly you have, but they didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. So these days, for example, everybody, oh, Israel, Israel, this, Israel, that. Okay, like I said before, where do you want these Jews to go? To another planet? Because they were not given any other chance. So eventually they went to the Middle East, they created a country which actually previously was a shithole because you can go and check out how those territories were before the end of the uh, 19th century. It was an, an inhabitable desert. Most of what current Israel was, was a place you don't want to live. The first Jewish immigrants who set place in those places said, this is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. I don't and, think the Palestinians would have that same view of their, you know, no, land no, no, where I'm they talking, were living for, 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 you, for, for thousands of okay. years, right? Jesse, how many times have you been to the Middle East? I haven't been there, no. Okay, I have been. I have been married with a Muslim person. I had my only child kidnapped by, um, uh, by these Muslims. I know how they operate. Someone asked what the age was by your child when your child was kidnapped. Earlier on, they asked that question when you talked about that. Your child was a year and a half when they kidnapped. Well, yes. When and you I haven't know. seen your and you haven't seen your child since. Yes. Okay. So I know exactly what it means for these people, and there will be some revelations made on certain topics that will, in my new book, I think, clear up this matter for a lot of people. That's why I am producing a new book that will also explain how Islam developed, because people think of Islam as a one religion. Islam was born with the prophet, but soon after the death of the prophet, it kind of went into two different directions and then two different directions and went into several other directions because there was the Cairo Lodge in Egypt in existence since the time of, of ancient Egypt, this lodge. Basically, when Islam started to develop in places like Persia and then Egypt, they went and annoyed people 
who were basically um, who didn't really like Islam that much, let's say. And so they, this, people like the Zoroastrians, the Manichaeans, the Gnostics of various currents, they received Islam, but they said, well, we don't really like this religion, but we're going to use this religion. And that's when they started to create the Shiites, then the Shiites created the Fatimids, and then the Fatimids created the Ishmaeli, and then the Ishmaeli created the, the Druze. And the, so it became then a... But all this, of course, is in the land of secret societies because the Illuminati and the secret societies are basically from that area of the world. That's where, before Freemasonry ever was in Europe or anything, the secret societies of the world were born between present-day Syria, Iran, Iraq, and Egypt. These are the countries where secret societies developed originally as a concept. Then you have the Knights Templars who picked up certain concepts that they found in the Middle East and they developed them to create this order, which now we all know the Knights Templars. Yes, but let's go and study the Knights Templars. How they were born? Who created them? Why they were founded in Jerusalem? And, and then we discovered that uh, the, 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 the legacy there goes back a long way and it goes into those secret societies in the Middle East, which a lot of people know little or nothing about. When we said about Mohammed Atta before, Mohammed Atta working, oh yeah, we know that Mohammed Atta worked for George W. Bush uh, and, and in the Bush family, basically, because that's how it worked out. But do you know that Mohammed Atta was basically an Ashashin? And the Ashashins were Nizaris? And the Nizaris were basically the people that were protecting Osama bin Laden until eventually he was brought out of this world. And they are not Sunni, but instead Osama bin Laden was Sunni and Wahhabi. And how did the Wahhabi develop? And why did they develop? So these are things uh, that people need to know a little bit more about before they can open their mouth. Hamas is a monster. Hamas, in the end of the 80s, in 1988, issued their manifesto. Go and read their manifesto. It spews anti-Semitic from the beginning to the end and talks about the protocols of the sages of Zion. Now, if you believe in the protocols of the sages of Zion, well, bingo. That means that you have understood nothing because the protocols of the sages of Zion were built by the Russian secret intelligence uh, together with uh, the Memphis and Mizraim Freemasons in France and became what then uh, unfortunately has led to a lot of... Some people ask about the Druzes. The Druzes, uh, of course, have influenced so much, even Freemasonry, that uh, Albert Pike or other uh, Mackey or many other Masonic authors talk about the Druzes. The secrets of the Druzes will be revealed in my next well, thank you so much. I know you wanted to wrap up kind of at this time. I'd like to book you on again because I think you're just such a wealth of knowledge. And I really think that, you know. Answer to somebody say, who created Hamas. Hamas was created by the Muslim Brotherhood, who in turn was created by British Freemasonry. And this happened in Egypt. 
and uh, it's not a conspiracy theory. There is hard evidence for this. So it's not like it's an historic evidence. So Hamas is simply another tool. These tools of hate and division and between uh, all these religions have uh, created, uh, they have been created in the name of what the Latins used to say, dividi et impera, divide and conquer. Because in the end, we are divided, each one on a rich, on a round. Ah, no, but because, I, oh, but this, oh, no, but I believe it's this rather than that. No, it's a unitarian conspiracy in the end of people who control us simply because we let them control uh, the we, we we let this control happen because of our ignorance let's not forget that in most cases we, we let them control us let's wrap it up here with you saying what do you think people should be doing right now to help us uh lessen that control to stop the control that they do have over us any you know, good ideas that you can leave us off with, you know, for everybody that, and there is like, you know, almost 200 people watching here live right now, um, you know, and the thousands of people what that are going to watch this on replay. Like I, like I explained in both volume seven and volume nine, uh, there is a moment in which we will have to go off the grid in the next uh, six years before 2030, a moment in which we will have to renounce uh, the possibility of uh, living with people who have made a different choice. So at the moment, we are still amicably together, even if this amicable is not so amicable because we are becoming more and more divided. If uh, we manage uh, to survive uh, in, uh, in this way, that's okay in the United States of America. But if the United States of America become the divided States of America, well, then it's going to be a very different uh, situation. So uh, I have a plan. The plan is uh, to go off the grid with like-minded people and to create uh, the basis for a civilization which rejects uh, what they are proposing. If, if, if that makes it clear for you, uh, Jesse. 100%. So tell people what they can find on your website, how they can get your books, how they could reach you if anybody wanted to contact you. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how well, people can find you and your work. Sure. Uh, all my contacts are on uh, leozegami.com, my website, where you find also the links uh, to my latest books. You find also uh, my mail and everything. I mean, I have also my own uh, shows uh, that I try to uh, do on YouTube, even if I've been said so many times that nowadays I'm like left to, to small channels that uh, maybe, but we, we continue, you know, we continue. I try to be present like you on many different platforms. Uh, it's it's not easy. It's not easy because uh, censorship is, uh, is, is always present. I mean, just... Uh, just two days ago, I was just posting a video of my Italian show. And while I was posting it, simply saying the show is at this and this other time, Facebook was saying, well, you have another post like this. And they were racist. Well, what is racist about saying that I have a show at one o'clock? Nothing. But, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but they are controlling. And the, the CA, of course, is controlling Google as well as Meta and other platforms. So we are on platforms that are defined by former agents of the CA because nowadays it's, it's almost like a tradition now has become in the last few decades. The people who work at the CA then go on 
into the civil sector working for these companies. And we are supposed to believe they're no longer working for the CIA. Yes, sure. That's it. <laughs> Thank you for having me on, Jesse. God bless you, you and God bless all our viewers for this uh, great opportunity. Thank you. And may the source be with you. We flew under the radar for the last three years on Facebook. We didn't have any issues. Last night when we interviewed this Marine um, who's been, you know, battling this, this new world order in the system, they hit us and they kicked us right off the interview. Um, they told us we had a copyright strike for um, some music that was being played that was never played. We didn't even play any music. I was just talking to him like this and all of a sudden it deleted and it showed us that there was a, it says that there was copy. We were deleted in 230 countries that that interview got deleted. And then, so after the interview was done, I uh, appealed it and I guess the video is back up now or whatever, but they just didn't want people reaching the information, but everybody went they, they, to. They, uh, do that. they do that every week when I broadcast on Facebook. And every week I appeal it, and every week I, I get the same result, which is it goes back on because they don't have anything to do. You know, it's it's like crazy. Like uh, last week we uh, broadcast the video of an, uh, Alexei Navalny's assistant asking for ten to twenty million dollars to the MI6 agent from the English embassy in in Moscow, and at that point. They, after a few days, they came on to me and they took away the video from all the various and what they without a strike from from YouTube, and so I simply put it back in, you know, and 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 and, and, and it's only on one of the channels I put it back in. They had the courage to say, and then I appealed it. So it's just like there is a constant monitoring of people like us who are trying to bring people closer to the light to the truth uh, it's it's part of the game i guess so we have to go along with it that's why we're on so many different platforms in case they do one thing to one you can find us on all the other different places we upload it everywhere we're trying to do the best that we can to get out to as many people as we can so thank you so much again um best but remember luck. remember books books are something tangible and that's why i always suggest people to take the hard copy the whatever i mean the printed out copy because when you have a digital format you are always in the hands of the enemy and the, the artificial intelligence could intervene in any moment and delete your uh, your digital uh, library and so have a hard library made of books, paper books. The only yeah, thing you can do is set them on fire. But uh, <laughs> I hope uh, we can avoid that. And <laughs> maybe we can yeah. hide them somewhere. And that's something I wanted to talk to you about. If we're getting all signed copy of all your books, I want to somehow figure that out. Um, so we actually have everybody that's on the missing link. I'm looking to get signed copies, but I'll talk to you about that again. Are you interested in coming back in the you know few months and just sure, having absolutely. more of I will uh, come back in a few months, uh, hopefully, to present uh, my latest book. Okay. Uh, do you know uh, of a date? Because we'll book you just afterwards. So that way we can help you promote that book. Well, I can't be sure. Uh, it's, uh, you know, in the next couple of two or three months. Let's say I will give you the, the as soon as I know the, the, the date for sure, I send you mail. Okay, perfect. We've got a few openings left in May. That's over three months from now, so maybe that's a good time. It, it should be, of, hopefully, it, it should be, hopefully, it should be the right time. 
Okay, perfect. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, best of luck with your citizenship. I know that, you know, you got some work to do there and, uh, you know, to make that happen. Uh, may the source be with you, protection uh, among you and all your family and everything that you're doing, you know, great work that you're doing. Um, we have one more missing link today at uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Tony Wells. She was a sheriff um, that obviously has been impacted over this last four years. She wants to protect the children and what's been happening. So um, awesome. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time we see you. Knowledge is power. The more knowledge we have collectively. Let's make it in May. Let's make it in May with my new book. Take care. Okay. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next time we see you. And knowledge is power. The more knowledge we all have collectively, the less power they have over us. So um, thanks again. This was another epic missing link. We appreciate all the comments, the chat, the questions, and the energy that you all are putting into this. Um, we're just looking to find any missing links about the person or the world around us that they want to share. So doing our best to get our information and, uh, um, wow. Yeah. We're just trying to get, uh, all this information out because, you know, we know this is a pivotal time in history and, uh, we're definitely recording everybody that's speaking out at this time. And in the hopes that you're not going to resonate with everyone, um, not everyone's going to be your cup of tea. Not everyone's going to be the information that you're looking for, but we have so many interviews that, you know, hopefully there are people that you do resonate with, that you do learn from, that you do appreciate. And uh, just be respectful is all we ask. And, you know, our chat has been super respectful of the people, even if they didn't agree. The questions are great, you know, and uh, I just, I just, uh, um, just admire your meekness and how you remain, your posture so calmly and clear. Thanks, Georgina. Um, we've done 682 interviews uh, so far. This is our 682 second interview. So um, practice does make perfect or at least, you know, looking to perfect this. And, you know, I do have an actual, you know, um, you know, curiosity from everyone that comes to present their information here, you know, for us. Like I said, not everybody's for everybody. Some people come with some pretty wild you know stories or you know things that have happened in their life but i come from an honest place that i'm just trying to get their information out the best that i can so love you all and uh we'll see you next time we see you back here on the missing link have a wonderful afternoon evening a.m 